Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense. It's another beautiful summer morning, ladies and gentlemen, as the world comes to terms with what is going on. And we will tell you precisely what is going on this morning, and there's rather a lot of it. General Sir Patrick Sanders, the Chief of the General Staff, has said that Britain and its allies face their 1937 moment. As the G7 meeting comes to an end in Munich uh, and a NATO meeting is about to start in Madrid, uh, we awoke today to the news that Russian forces have decided to launch a series of attacks on civilians in a shopping centre uh, in Kremenchuk. Uh, we'll be talking to James Sunderland MP about that. Coming up, though, uh, meanwhile, there are more strikes. Strikes everywhere. If you haven't been on strike this year, you're obviously missing out. We've had the RMT strike. We're about to have a postal strike. Doctors are saying they want to go on strike unless they get a 37% pay rise, or 30% pay rise, I should say. Uh, the fire service union also threatening to go on strike. Teachers threatening to go on strike. All sorts of people are going to go on strike. We might have to start strike of the day coming up pretty soon because in the end... If you're not on strike, you're nowhere. Julie Hartley-Brewer just said to me, well, I understand why people want more money. Well, so do I. But do you really want to hold the country to ransom? Do you really, as a doctor, say that you're not going to see patients because you're not getting paid enough money? Are you really, as a teacher, saying that you're not going to teach children because you want more money? because of inflation. Brendan Chilton is going to join us from the CEO of the Independent Business Network. He's going to tell us why he believes the government could be doing more to help people out. Howard Cox is going to join us because the government say they might give us another fuel duty cut, which they may do. But if it's anything like the last one, I wouldn't bother. 5p uh, off a £2 a litre petrol price is really nothing to write home about. Laura Dodsworth is going to be here as well. Uh, whilst we'll be hearing, hopefully, from Boris Johnson, he's going to be giving some kind of a press conference throughout the show at some point. We will let you know as soon as we do. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. There's lots to talk about. Many, many big things to uh, say. And, of course, we want your say as well. Because this is the one place where we care what you think. You tell us and we tell everybody else. It's the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It's Talk TV. Let's get it on.
And it is a beautiful summer's day, certainly out there in uh, the wide world of London, the metropolitan city, the place where Ramona's remain uh, and will do for a very, very long time indeed. It started off last night, uh, the Brexit protocol, the Northern Ireland protocol that was voted through for a second reading. Uh, so it looks as though we may well be on the way uh, to doing in Northern Ireland what we did in the rest of Britain uh, a couple of years ago. It needs to be done. It must be done. And you don't need to listen to those people who say, oh, but it's a breach of international law. Well, it's not actually, um, because as Chris Philp explained earlier on on Breakfast, actually, uh, there are plenty of places in all sorts of agreements that say if you need to change the terms of the agreement, providing it doesn't do any harm to any side of the agreement, then that is absolutely fine and within the law. Uh, so the Ramonas actually have no argument left. Let's talk to Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Good to be with you. Very nice to see you again. We've got lots to do here this morning, lots to talk about. Should we kick off with what happened last night in Parliament, the Brexit deal uh, moving closer in Northern Ireland? So many people out there trying to make out that, you know, here we go again. It's another, you know, reckless Tory policy, abandoning um, international agreements, making us look like cowboys, all of which is rubbish, right? It is complete rubbish. Uh, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. Uh, the whole of the United Kingdom uh, voted as one country in the referendum when we voted to leave the European Union. I was opposed to the arrangements in Northern Ireland uh, when they were passed last time. So I'm pleased uh, the government are passing this through now. And hopefully it won't be delayed too long when it gets to the House of Lords. And Northern Ireland can once again uh, be a full member of the United Kingdom and its single market. Well, exactly right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we've had these two big meetings. Um, the one that's about to come to an end, the G7. Uh, the one that's about to begin, the NATO meeting. Right in the middle of it, and I'm not asking you to be a military expert here. Uh, Putin and Russia have uh, unleashed some kind of series of attacks, it would seem, over the last couple of days. Um, which I have to say um, is not entirely surprising. It's the kind of event that you would think he might pull off because these meetings are on because he's just showing uh, sort of sticking as Tobias Elwood said sticking two fingers up to to the west really hardly surprising but I fail to see really what the G7 and the NATO meetings are for well um I think the the first thing to say Mike I think is the attack particularly on the uh, shopping center uh, in Ukraine absolutely horrific and I dread to think how many uh, customers and people working there uh, were killed or severely injured. Yes. Um, but frankly, you know, Putin uh, and his regime are totally barbaric. And I have to say, the Russian people uh, supporting and allowing their government to continue like this, I put in exactly the same category, a barbaric nation uh, committing all sorts of evils uh, against the people of Ukraine. Um, in terms of what the West can actually do, I mean, I think we are essentially now at capacity. Uh, the only next step uh, that we can undertake is to deploy... Uh, troops, ships and aircraft uh, in the Ukraine. And there's no appetite amongst Western leaders to do that. And so unfortunately, I think until uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians either come to some sort of negotiation, which should include the full withdrawal of Russian troops, uh, this war is going to go on for a long time. Yes, I fear that you may be right there. Let's talk about um, matters at home, really, because we've got strikes all over the place, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. But I was reading your piece this morning that you wrote for uh, Reaction Life, and Britain needs a plan for growth. Because one of the things that puzzles me is why we've been talking now for weeks and weeks and weeks about the growing cost of everything, uh, the cost of living increase, the cost of living crisis, the crisis in fuel prices, everything's going up. People are going on strike supposedly because they can't afford the inflationary pay rises. But, but nothing's actually being done by the government. I know they keep trotting out this mantra that, well, we're giving billions and billions of pounds away to people. Well, they are, but that's not the same thing, is it? 
No, it's not. And essentially at the moment, Mike, this country is in a really perilous position. Um, we've got zero growth forecast for next year. We've got rising inflation. We've got, as you say, a summer of industrial action forecast. Uh, and there's no plan to get this country growing. We hear a lot from the government about talking about how we're going to use our Brexit freedoms to diverge and grow the economy. Well, we've heard that for the last few years and nothing's happened. Uh, the government claimed to be a low tax government, mm. but all they seem to be doing is raising taxes. And I think the prime minister has said that he's not going to bring forward a tax cut earlier this year. And the other key element of it's our a bit like me claiming to be the greatest mountaineer of all time, isn't it? Because I'm not. Well, you're not. I and, uh, and neither and neither <laughs> are they. Um, the, 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 the party of low taxation. They simply aren't. I don't know why they keep saying it. Well, well it, it's sort of like if, if you say uh, something that's not true often enough, it eventually <laughs> becomes true. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, high taxation is a massive barrier to growth. Mm. The more money uh, the government has, the less money you, I and, and other consumers have to spend uh, and to grow our economy. And so, frankly, all the while the government keeps raising taxes, we're not going to get the growth we need. And importantly as well, uh, and I, I try and make this point whenever I can, manufacturing in this country does not get anywhere near the attention it deserves. Yet the highest productivity gains can be found in manufacturing. Mm. If you look at the fastest growing economies in the world, they are they have huge manufacturing sectors. And if we had a government that gave that sector particular attention, our economy would grow much more rapidly. Well, one of, one of the interesting things that we've all discovered about Ukraine is it's massive in manufacturing, that they've been manufacturing things that we didn't even know uh, we needed until we realised that we couldn't get them anymore. Cars, for example. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons you can't get a new car at the moment is because an awful lot of particularly the German car manufacturers have factories in Ukraine where they put together bits and pieces that go inside the car, you know, like sort of, you know, superconductors and whatever it is that they use for the computer systems and all of that. You know, they, 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 they manufacture them all in Ukraine. And at the moment, obviously, that manufacture has ground to a halt. So that is affecting the sale of new cars. So while you might say, oh, well, you know, rich people can't get another car. No, it means that the people that sell the cars can't make any money because they work on commission. So it's like a vicious circle. It is indeed. And we've allowed over, you know, under successive uh, conservative and Labour governments and indeed under the coalition, our manufacturing sector to deplete. Mm. Uh, and as a result, uh, we are where we are now. Extremely low growth, uh, dependent largely on other countries for most of our key goods, like you mentioned, their cars and yeah. there are plenty of other things we import because we can't make them here. Um, and I know the green lobby say, well, we, sh we shouldn't be making more here because of carbon emissions. Well, I, I'd rather us make more here to higher standards than bring things in from around the world, which are more damaging for the planet. Um, so I think there's a huge case to be made on manufacturing, regulation and taxation. And, you know, for God's sake, Boris, get on with it mm. and do it. But this is the thing. I mean, the Times this morning has got a piece by their political editor, Stephen Swinford, saying that Boris will reject Tory uh, demands for an early tax cut. So that's not happening. But it surely must be um, sort of, you know, duty bound uh, as a man who says he wants to help people through this crisis, that he needs to, to, to be seen to be making some kind of cut, at least. I mean, there's some suggestion today, we're talking to Howard Cox about it later, that there may well be a cut coming uh, in fuel duty. But if it's another 5p cut, they might as well not bother. Well, if I was Chancellor of the Exchequer, I would have an emergency budget right now. I wouldn't bother with 5p off fuel duty. I'd go for 50p, give mm. a real cut yes. so people can feel the actual benefit. I'd abolish the national insurance increases and I'd slash VAT 
on energy and fuel to give mm. a real stimulus to people because right now you must see this as well as i do everyone i know and speak to is really feeling the pinch even yeah. people i know on very good incomes are starting to go oh dear yes a bit expensive this week isn't there's it? no there's no uh, question i mean it's incredible and i think also um it would be wise i would have thought for some companies and some um you know retailers to actually take a bit of a look at themselves because it seems to me that an awful lot of them are just ratcheting up prices because they can, because they think, oh, the public's in uh, the same mood as they were yesterday, which is that they're not surprised anymore when everything's gone up. So if you just put another 50p on what used to be two quid, you know, they'll pay 250. It's not a problem. Well, well, the disparity between some of the uh, state petrol and fuel stations around the country, uh, I think, really does need to be investigated by someone. Uh, I've got no objection to businesses making a profit. Uh, but when there are such huge differences between uh, diesel and petrol uh, at different stations that are less than a mile apart, one has to really start to wonder uh, what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but but our, our fundamental problem at the moment on whether it's industrial action that's taking place or that's proposed to take place, inflation and the position on tax is because we haven't got a plan for growth. Uh, we, we hear our politicians, you know, rowing with each other over who had a pint and who had a party and who had a, a curry or whatever it was. Mm. Frankly, it's boring and we need to move on and focus on how do we get our economy growing? How do we ensure that Britain stays in the top 10 economies in the world and becomes one of the becomes the largest economy in Europe? That should be our objective. Well, it really should. And it should be our objective to get that economy moving, as you say, Brendan. Stay with us because we've got plenty to talk about. Lots more to do. Brendan Chilton is with us. He's CEO of the Independent Business Network. But I need to talk to you today about this as well, because as far as how you're coping with the price rises, how it is uh, that some people say, well, we have to go on strike in order to keep up uh, with the standards of living and the cost of living that's going up. Well, I'm sorry, not everybody can go on strike. Not everybody will go on strike and not everybody would even threaten to go on strike. But we need to know from you whether you are going to do that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When somebody makes an accusation, it must be true. Sure. Just and that's where we are now. The slightest whiff of heresy. Now, I don't know too much about that story. As soon as something is even veering into the sporting territory, it kind of wafts past yes. me. But there is a theme here, which is, I, I think it's... Um, capitulating to the new elites mm. and also cowardice yes. because one thing we were going to talk about today um, and so let's let's just touch on it briefly because I think it follows on from that is Tom Felton who played Draco Malfoy in the Harry Potter oh, films yes. refusing to answer questions about JK Rowling and an interview on Sky mm. and it's it's the same thing you know his his PR team um, didn't want him to answer a question about J.K. Rowling, mm. you know, why she's not involved in the anniversary celebrations. Right. And Sky have since said, you know, PRs don't, they shouldn't be interfering with the editorial integrity of our interviews, despite the fact it happens all the time. Yes. But it's this, it's the fact that he just remained tight-lipped mm. and silent like, because she's been think, tainted but by transphobia. But didn't you think the subject might come up? You know, like you're talking about Harry Potter, you're talking about the anniversary... J.K. Rowling now has become, in, in my view, wrongly, a controversial figure. Yeah. Um, don't you think that they might have asked that question? He should have had an answer prepared. Mm. I think it looked really gutless to say nothing. First of all, 
grow a pair, mm. have an answer ready. It's not that hard. Yeah. Make it really on the fence, if you like, but say something. Yes. But to sit there tight, silently, fidgeting with your hands while, you know, somebody in PR behind the scenes is going like this to the, rip, to the yeah. reporter. Move it's on. a bit pathetic. It really is pathetic. He played somebody quite badass in the films, yeah. obviously not in real life. But there's another element of cowardice. This kind of pretense that the creator of that magical mm. world is somehow no longer really attached to it. Yeah. It's just kind of a bit of an accident. And really, isn't you know, that's really it? related to what she's been defending. Yeah. You know, she's saying that you can't erase women. No. You can't erase the word woman. Right. And there we have a female creative genius almost being erased from yes. her own creation. It's gutless and it's it's just really unimpressive. She should be at the centre of all the celebrations. Do you think it wouldn't be happening if she wasn't a wealthy white woman? Do you think th that would have an issue? an issue? Because in a way, it's appropriation. It's appropriating her owned, physically and, and actually intellectually owned copyright. You know, yeah. she wrote it. She owns it. How dare they take it away from her? Well, they can't take it away from her, but they distance themselves from her in a way which just seems spineless, completely divorced from reality mm. and totally lacking in the grace and the gratitude that they all owe her. Yeah. She's made them. She's made all of them. And they've all become very wealthy. Thanks very much indeed. Yeah. And now they can't even answer a simple question about mm. why she's not at the anniversary celebration. It's quite pathetic. So cowardice, a similar sort of thing to the, you know, the theme that's running through that, that Michael Vaughan story, of which I don't know very yes. much. But you don't need to know much to know that basically the people who are upset by it are over the top upset by it. Uh, and they're upset by nothing. They're upset by somebody who has had accusations made against them, mm. which have since been non, and certainly not proven. Uh, he's certainly been found guilty of nothing. The BBC reinstated him because they did suspend him when the, the accusation was made, which is a separate story altogether. But in the end, we now live in this world where people go, well, if you've been accused of doing something, you probably did it. Yeah, the only answer is for everybody to take responsibility for speaking up when mm. something like that is wrong. Hurt feelings, this kind of idea of no smoke without fire, this can't be allowed to trump reality, common yeah. sense, and just fairness and justice. Mm. So everybody has to speak up when they when they come across these instances, which is why I think we should talk about the um, the Rochdale yes. situation as well today, because this is one that people have been pussyfooting around mm. for years. And quite obviously, because we've seen reports from the older, um, uh, and, and and other places like Rotherham. Yeah. Uh, we've seen these report after report. Maggie Oliver's been brilliant on it for the police detective who actually resigned from the force because she was mm -hmm. so disgusted with the way the police yeah. were dealing with these things that nobody took it seriously. The police were institutionally racist against the white girls who were the victims, mm -hmm. not against the, the Asian gangs who were doing it. And they were frightened of being accused of being racist. It's extraordinary. But the latest story is a 51-year-old guy who was known as apparently the master, jailed in 2012, um, lost his UK citizenship in 2018, has come out of prison now and was due to be deported to Pakistan, where he was a citizen, but he managed somehow to become... Um, or, or to, to relieve himself of his citizenship in Pakistan. So now he can't go. They can't deport him. So he's stuck here without UK citizenship or Pakistani citizenship. What do we do with it? Yeah, I don't understand the legal intricacies of this. So he has somehow managed to find himself effectively stateless mm. then if he doesn't have a if he's not a British citizen yeah. and a Pakistani citizen. But you only have to be a fairly ordinary person with a basic grasp of morals mm. to know it's completely wrong. Not I mean, he should be in jail for the rest of his life yeah. or deported. Right. What they did was disgusting. You know, they, they plied young teenage girls with alcohol, they they raped them, they prostituted them. Um, his nickname of the master is 
absolutely offensive. Everything about these men is completely abhorrent. There'd be nothing that's too awful for them. And what's really really abhorrent in this case is he's using his human rights as his shield and saying that he should be a role model Mm. to his son and saying that um you know every child needs a parent to teach them right from wrong and he's a role model well he's he's the worst role role model model that you could imagine it really is extraordinary isn't it apparently the truth of this story is revealed a barrister representing um him in his battle against deportation read out a document which said that Home Secretary Sajid Javid um, had written to Aziz who renounced his Pakistani citizenship um, and then five days later um, they lost their battle against being stripped of British nationality so they were stripped of their British nationality so I mean in some ways I'm glad that there's one good part of the story that we can actually do that to people but if you strip somebody of their nationality here but then you can't deport them then I'm sorry, it doesn't make much sense to me. It means you're, you're, you're basically given permission to stay in this country illegally. Yeah, there should be a way to revoke him of his right to remove his British, his Pakistani citizenship yeah. and just and just deport him. The idea of people like this still walking around in the communities where they wrought this hideous physical, sexual and emotional havoc is mm. it's just disgusting. He's no role model. No. He's a beast, not he a really master. He really is. And speaking of barristers, you know, we were talking earlier about the RMT strike. Barristers going on strike. Now, there's a lot of sort of, you know, what I would call spinning going on here because we keep hearing from some barristers that, well, you know, criminal barristers on legal aid sometimes earn less than the minimum wage. I don't think that's entirely true. I think some of them may not be making fortunes. However, they are actually doing okay. And the only way you can calculate that they end up making less money is if you say, oh, but they do lots of preparatory work that they don't get paid for. Well, don't we all? You know, I get paid to do a three-hour radio show. Do you think I just turn up one minute before and leave one minute afterwards and that's all I do? No, but you get paid for what you do as you do as a barrister. You get paid, I think it's £125 a day um, to represent people in legal aid situations, say for, a, for a, you know, a sentencing hearing or something like that. So they're doing okay. And also they've got the opportunity, like doctors do, to later on make an awful lot more money, mm. right? Okay, I don't know much. I'm going to... I, I feel like I should investigate this a bit more. Bit more. Good friend, Francis Hoare is yeah. a barrister, and he said there are barristers running up debts, and actually they are in a tricky situation. So I'm going to defer on that. However, there are 60 barristers who are going to be doing really well out of the COVID inquiry. They are. They are. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew I could take you that, down that road. <laughs> yeah, you can. The and tele- I mean, it's going to cost 40 million a year, so they're not doing too badly. They're not going to be the breadline oh, anytime soon, are they? Oh, it's more than that. Yeah, the Telegraph has run an exclusive story today. So there are going to be 60 barristers on the COVID inquiry, which is a really large number, more than previous inquiries. And, I mean, they're they're just getting paid, I expect, whatever their standard day rates are. But the bill for those barristers will be £307,100 per week. So you can see... Yes, that's that's just the barristers. There are obviously more costs than that in inquiry. You could get Lionel Messi for that. I know that won't mean anything to you. Um, It's a footballer. It's a footballer reference, right? Lots of money. Um, But it's looking like the COVID inquiry could be 192 million plus. To put this into context, the context, the Iraq inquiry was 13 million and Levinson was 5.4 million. One three. Is that all the Chilcot inquiry was? Yeah, 13. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought it was more than that. That was completely worthless, though. Well, do you know, the the thing is with this, I'm, I feel kind of like throw everything at it, throw everything at the COVID inquiry. Come on, let's do this. But not if it's going to be like yeah, a Chilcot or a Leveson. We haven't got any money, though. Right. So, yes, do an inquiry, but you don't have to. I mean, I always ask the question, why does it cost this much? You know, when they say, oh, uh, this has cost 
X number of billions of pounds because of the man hours that have been using. Yeah, well, when you ask why or could you break it down, nobody can ever say. But we're going to stop for a moment um, because um, we need to talk about this some more. Laura Dosworth is here. Of course, uh, we're talking about the COVID inquiry. We had Molly Kingsley in yesterday. Um, she's talking about um, her book that's coming out this week. Brilliant about, book. Great brilliant book. book. You must really get good. it. I've but read it. Very good. She didn't even think it was likely it was going to happen anytime soon, the COVID inquiry. But we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, this is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Bish Bosh Berserk. Lively debate. Now with zero percent drift and dither. Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk Radio. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, we're talking to Brendan Chilton, CEO of the Independent Business Network, and we'll be taking your calls as well on what is going on uh, as we see basically everybody in the public sector now kind of joining the bandwagon, jumping all over it, uh, deciding that it's a good idea to threaten to strike the doctor's strike. Possibly 30% of a pay rise is what the British Medical Association conference has said. That's the BMA. These are the people who are not anything other than a union for doctors. And these are the same people uh, who think doctors can work fewer hours. Doctors shouldn't work weekends. Doctors can work three-day weeks. I mean, these are not people who are badly paid. And yet they're saying, oh, we must be able to get a 30% pay rise. 30%. Some of these people are already making 100 grand. So you want a £30,000 pay rise. Really? Some people don't even make that. It's absolutely utterly ludicrous and ridiculous. But we'll be talking uh, to Martin Gower about that coming up a little bit later on in the show. Brendan, just before we move on, there's a little video I just wanted to play out because we do like to keep people amused as well as entertained and informed on this show. Uh, so let's have a look at Boris Johnson. This is him uh, getting out of a car. Uh, and you'll have, you'll have recognised that he sometimes jogs everywhere. This is him just literally getting out of a car and jogging about 15 yards into the hotel. I don't know whether you can see that, but um, I don't know whether he's trying to make out that, um, you know, here's me returning from a big run that I've just been on, uh, or whether he realised that people were actually filming from the other side of the road so you could actually see him getting out of the car. Well, uh, I, you know, what our Prime Minister does, Mike, sometimes does uh, absolutely bemuse me. Uh, I will add this to the ever-growing list of things uh, that makes Boris Johnson unique and exceptional, but always in a good way. <laughs> well, it kind of is, because it's slightly endearing. I mean, I know there are people who absolutely hate his guts and will never, ever like anything that he does, and will call him a charlatan and worse. But actually, um, it does make you smile. And on a day like this, when there's not an awful lot to smile about, um, it is quite amusing. It rather reminds me of my PE lessons in school. When the teacher wasn't looking, I'd walk. And then when he turned round, I'd sort of do what, <laughs> what Boris just did. <laughs> well, exactly right. I'm sure there are plenty of people who have cut through the old uh, the school run and actually not run the full mile uh, because yeah. they didn't really feel like it. Let's talk about another story, however, that uh, was hitting the headlines this morning. And it was about uh, the Rochdale grooming gangs uh, and one particular man. And you'll have been involved in, in council decisions in the past and, and, you know, some of these rather difficult cases that have been going on up and down the land we've already seen reports about how badly the police behaved how useless the police were but we've now got a guy who can't be deported back to Pakistan because it turns out that just days before he was found guilty he was able to renounce his citizenship and I mean if that doesn't look like an obvious attempt not to be deported I don't know what does well it clearly is an obvious attempt to be deported and I think the stories that have been coming out of Rochdale and other parts of the north of England over many years now um, really are really quite alarming. And I think it's probably just the tip of the iceberg 
uh, actually. Uh, this guy should be deported. I don't care if he's reneged on his citizenship. Um, we, we've got islands around the world. We've got the Ascension Island in the middle of the Atlantic. I'd send him there. Uh, and he should be kept far away from any children ever again. And I think the officials in Rochdale Council, the police and all the other agencies uh, that have been involved in these cases over many, many years need to have a serious and thorough look at themselves and ask themselves, how on earth did we get to a situation where so many children and young people uh, were abused in this way mm. and frankly not listened to? No. Um, well, this is the thing. I mean, Maggie Oliver's written about this as well. Uh, basically, this guy's a taxi driver. He was convicted of trafficking, conspiracy to engage in sexual activity with a child. He was jailed for nine years in 2012. Uh, he was known as the master by his fellow abusers. He was clearly the ringleader of this horrible, ghastly uh, gang that was going around. Abdul Aziz is his name. Um, stripped of UK citizenship in 2018. So what exactly can he do here? I mean, if he can't be deported, does that mean we're stuck with him? Well, I, I'm I'm not entirely expert on this particular field, but I'm pretty sure there must be a way around this. I mean, I'm pretty sure every resident of Rochdale uh, would like to see the back of this fella. And I'm pretty sure the overwhelming majority, if not all of your listeners would, and the overwhelming majority of people in the country, uh, the fact that he's still here. And was, you know, why was he able to renege his citizenship a few days before prosecution? Uh, surely, you know, that sort of thing should be suspended temporarily or whatever while the, the case is pending. Yes. Um, and again, again, another failure of our system uh, that seems to be on the side of those that don't want to work that want to break the law, want to get away with things. And when the hardworking majority are getting on with their lives and doing their best, they're the ones that suffer. Yes, absolutely right. And as we await the um, sound um, and Solomon-like judgment of the Durham Police Department, uh, how about this for a text that's come in today anonymously? The last thing Boris Johnson needs is for Starmer to step down if he's found guilty. While he's there, Boris is laughing. Surely a strong, votable Labour leader with a clear strategy and policy would force the Tories into making tax cuts, etc. Well, you would like to think that the Labour Party could come up with some plans for the cost of living crisis, but so far they don't seem to really be doing that. We'll have another Prime Minister's question tomorrow. Um, but there is a problem with the Labour Party right now, isn't there, Brendan? Because you've been obviously associated with it for a very long time. But they've sort of lost their core heartland seats up in up in the red wall of the north of England. They don't really seem to know exactly where they stand with trade unions because, you know, on the one hand, you've got David Lammy saying he doesn't support the strikes. But then you've got Angela uh, Rayner saying she does. I mean, what's going on? Well, any party that wishes to uh, form a government needs to have strong, clear messaging that the public can understand and relate to. Uh, and when you go back to uh, our disagreements we had over Brexit, the Labour Party flaffed around on that. And unfortunately, it looks as though the party is appearing to the public at the moment to be a bit indecisive on the question of industrial action. Mm. Um, I do think the country wants a change. I do think the country are getting a bit fed up uh, at the moment with the incumbent government. But Labour needs to do a lot more to look like a government in waiting, mm. uh, particularly on the economy, uh, particularly on Britain's role in the world. And of course, today uh, we've got Nicola Sturgeon trying to break up our country, that nasty little nationalist up in Edinburgh. <laughs> um, and what we need to do uh, from both Labour and Conservatives is to have a strong plan for the economy, because then the country will want to stick together, will grow the economy, 
we won't need industrial action. So we've got general election on the horizon. It could be early next year or 2024. And if Labour wants to win that election, it needs to focus on the economy and generating growth. That's what voters decide in elections. I think so. I mean, genuinely speaking, I think if there was an election called, you know, tomorrow, and let's say we had it in some kind of, um, you know, four week period or something like that, I genuinely don't, I think most people in this country wouldn't know who to vote for. I certainly think at the moment there seems to be a bit of a malaise in politics. Um, you know, there, there's still a shift going on from the referendum. Uh, people are realigning still. But I think both parties have just spent so long uh, trying to get one over on one another. People are bored of it. Yeah. Um, they're seeing, as, we, as we've discussed today, prices going through the roof, fuel going through the roof, taxes going up. And there seems to be no sort of light at the end of this very miserable, dark, long tunnel. Yeah. Um, and no party at the moment is really inspiring people uh, to come over to their side. I think there's plenty of opportunities for both Labour and Conservatives to inspire people if they were to put forward some very imaginative policies like some of those we've discussed today, and they'd clean up. Mm. Um, it's, it's really not difficult. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And, no. you know, make, make sure people have more money in their pocket at the end of the week than what the government takes. Make sure they've got money to spend on a decent holiday once or twice a year. They can afford to give their kids some treats and make sure you've got a strong uh, yeah. sector for well, business to I mean, we haven't, even, we, haven't, we haven't even mentioned the problem at the airports yet because uh, you can't actually <laughs> go anywhere uh, if you did want to go somewhere. Good luck actually getting there. But I feel, I feel like uh, not only is there no light at the end of the tunnel, there's no actual lights in the tunnel. And we're all just kind of stumbling around in the dark. I'm not quite sure sure why so it's a very bizarre place that we find ourselves in and we can only hope that uh, at some point we will find our way out of it brendan good to talk to you thank you very much indeed brendan chilton ceo uh, of the independent business network uh, says terry and slough i believe if boris doesn't drop his green agenda not only will he destroy the tory party but the only growth industry will be poverty i think that's absolutely right and uh, one from john who says and the gullible wanted me to clap for doctors and nurses during lockdown thank god i didn't i think you speak for many people they're now saying they're going to go on strike, right? Doctors, on strike, not seeing patients. What do they think it is? COVID pandemic time. This is Talk TV. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, to Ben Clapworthy, travel correspondent, of course, at The Times. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, I mean, we heard so long ago, I think it was only last week, that BA was going to go on strike sometime in July. We we were expecting them to announce the dates yesterday. I don't think they did, did they? Uh, well, no, we're still waiting at the moment. Um, what is so often with these things is that the unions do it in a two-stage approach. That's announced that their ballot has been positive for striking. Yeah. And then the second one is when they go again to uh, try and announce the dates in order to, to get maximum coverage and maximum uh, support in many ways for their, their action. Yes. So, I mean, will they at some point in the next couple of weeks, because I know the government has been urging all airlines, if you're going to cancel flights, please do it with as much time um, you know, in, in, in to spare as possible. Would you expect them to, to declare a couple of dates soon? Um, well, unions need to give two weeks notice uh, before announcing any strike action in the first place. Mm. Um, I think ultimately they are looking and have made clear that they want to target the peak summer holiday period. Now, I was told originally that there was some talk of trying to hit uh, private schools when they break up uh, to affect those that may be flying in, in BA's club world, their business class. Um, although someone else said to me yesterday that actually the school of thought now is to go juggler and go for the main school holidays when uh, countries up and down the UK break up to try mm. and inflict maximum uh, damage on BA that way. It's worth saying this is 700 members of check-in staff and other ground handlers, people that scan your boarding card mm. at the gate that help uh, get passengers on and off planes and so on. So these are frontline, uh, as it were, airport workers that really will be missed when they do walk out. Yes, although I'm told that there might well be a way that BA can cover the losses if those people do walk out because it means that they've still got the plane, they've still got the flight crews, they've still got the pilots, they've still got the slots, they've still got the ability to fly. So they wouldn't presumably want to miss those opportunities and, and, and tell people they can't go. Well, no. Um, I mean, British Airways have already cut their summer schedules by up to 10% because of a lack of staff. Mm. This is not going to make it any easier for them. Um, last week, when the announcement was made, I said that uh, Bayes, the Department for, for Business, uh, are looking at, as we know, introduced changing the laws to allow agency workers to backfill roles. I asked British Airways whether they would be considering that. They said that it wasn't the time to be getting into the debate when it was so soon after the announcement. Crucially, though, in a way, agency workers could be employed on the uh the ground side, the pre-departure side right. uh, of the airport. Obviously, they couldn't go airside in the terminal because they would need clear uh, security clearances. Uh, there is, though, the possibility that they could have agency workers working, sorry, land side uh, and be able to help some of the check-in and then potentially, as you say, move crew around to help those who have airside passes to get people onto planes. Yes, and it only affects Heathrow at the moment, doesn't it? It doesn't affect any other airport in the UK. It does indeed. This is uh, unique to Heathrow, partly because Heathrow closed their Gatwick operation altogether uh, during the pandemic. So staff working there are now on new contracts. Mm. Uh, these BA workers on check-in and ground handling at BA, they say they were forced to take an annual 10% pay decrease during the pandemic. British Airways say we have offered them a one-off payment of 10% of their salary for this year. The unions say they want it to be 
annual and reinstate the pay loss so that their members are back on 100% pay, not 90% pay with a 10% top up this year. Mm. Going to be tricky, isn't it? And the RMT, to continue our theme of travel and uh, difficulties getting around, they say they're going to be striking all the way up to Christmas. When are they going to give us their next set of dates? The RMT have gone very quiet at the moment. They have uh, obviously got a lot of traction last week when the rail strikes were on. Uh, they seem to have, have gone to ground, as it were, for the for a few days. Negotiations are su- supposedly ongoing with Network Rail and the 13 of England's 15 train operators mm. where they voted to strike. Their mandate gives them six months of action. Again, they have to give two weeks notice. Uh, my feeling is that if... Uh, those uh, discussions don't make progress, then they will probably again be announcing in the next couple of weeks with the idea of hitting the start of the school holidays when people use the train primarily for leisure to get around to go to go on staycations, but also to reach airports and, and other yeah. and ports. Well, that's one of the things that I found interesting last week, actually, because the busiest days on the road were actually not Tuesday and Thursday strike days, but actually Saturday. Because a lot more people, I think, use trains on a Saturday. Um, and that's one of the arguments against the railway model as it currently is, isn't it? Because the way the RMT works and the way that the railway timetable works is kind of, you know, let's do all the road, let's do all the engineering works at the weekend because we've got more people travelling during the week. That's not really true anymore. No, it's not. It's uh, completely changed. Uh, passenger numbers at the weekends are actually regularly uh surpassing levels pre-pandemic during the week they've pretty much stabilized at 75 percent 25 percent down on the levels that were seen beforehand because mm. of working from home and there were many people last week that actually quite enjoyed the weather wasn't too bad mm. quite enjoyed the opportunity to once again work from home you know a lot of people have sort of begrudgingly gone back uh, to their workplaces um however Uh, That said, that's why the RMT chose to strike on a Saturday. They wouldn't have done that in the past. Mm. And that's why the roads, too, were busier on the Saturday, because actually people were moving off of the train that they would have used to go to many events. And there were events up and down the country happening at the weekend. The RMT, again, as as one person at Network Rail said to me uh, last week, you can accuse the RMT of being many things, but you can't accuse them of being stupid. They picked these dates specifically because they knew that that Saturday had an awful lot of events going on, not least one with 200,000 people down in the West Country, but also (laughs) uh, concerts in uh, London, in Hyde Park, the test uh, match at Headingley, Mm. and so on. They, They knew exactly what they were doing. And that's why, yes, the roads on Saturday were far busier than they have been mm. in the weekdays when people said well back to pandemic life we'll work from home and save some money absolutely right now I'm told that um, in Spain some Ryanair people were talking about going on strike and the Spanish government basically rolled out their new version of dealing with strikes and said well if you go on strike you're going to go to jail <laughs> yes <laughs> which is an interesting that... way to do industrial relations but I'm not I'm not against it it is an interesting way to do uh, industrial relations. And uh, in a way, it would be very funny to hear some ministers here uh, coming up with those sorts of ideas, particularly when we know that we do have a government who uh, often say things that don't turn out to be fully uh, accurate, mm. such as Boris Johnson saying that P&O ferries, when they fired their workers, would face unlimited fines. 
where are the unlimited fines? They haven't happened. Where's the legal action that Boris Johnson and Grant Shapps promised? That hasn't happened either. Uh, so in a way, them taking a slightly stronger stance on it, and mm. if they go through with it, will be a precedent for the rest of Europe. It's worth saying that uh, Ryanair, although affected by strikes at the weekend in Spain, also Belgium uh, and Italy, said that it only affected 2% of their uh, operations, which shows how resilient Ryanair mm. Uh, for all their faults by not actually firing any staff during the pandemic, how resilient their airline is. Yeah, very interesting. Ben, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Clapworthy there giving us the latest on what's going on in the old travel sector. Uh, it's all bad news, but let's hope uh, it gets better. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Kevin O'Sullivan is coming up at four o'clock. Uh, he's in for Jeremy Carl. Of course, Ian Collins here from One as well. Uh, we'll be keeping you uh, informed about Boris Johnson. He is sort of midway between the G7 and NATO. One was in Germany. One was in um, uh, Madrid. Uh, he's supposed to be making a speech of one kind or another in this hour. We'll bring you, bring you that as soon as we know exactly what it is. Uh, more than likely, it will be about Ukraine, which was the big topic of conversation this morning after the attack uh, on the shopping centre by Russia and Russian forces overnight. Coming up in this hour, though, Howard uh, Cox is here. I said Howard Fox. I don't know why. I was thinking of Lawrence Fox. He's been banned from Twitter. Uh, quite right, too. Uh, you don't need to be on Twitter, uh, Lawrence. Uh, Howard Cox is here because we're going to talk about the cost of fuel, believe it or not, because guess what? You know, Boris Johnson has been hinting that they might reduce the cost of fuel, uh, specifically the fuel tax, but I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. Howard, um, this has been a conversation that we've been going on at for quite some time. I mean, even actually before um, the so-called fuel crisis, you've been talking about the fuel accelerator and the cost of, of, of fuel duty and all of that. Is there any truth to any of this, do you think? Well, I'm hearing rumours, but uh, let's face it, you know, they haven't really woken up and smelt the coffee for a decade, have no. they? Uh, yes, I'm hearing certain things, but whether they will match Germany, which have gone down by 25 pence, and Spain by 20 pence, and yeah. Ireland by 17, and even France by 13 pence. We got that 5p, which didn't touch the sides, did right. it, Mike? It really didn't. Well, in fact, for most people, it meant it went up. <laughs> yeah, it because, certainly. I mean, I think almost everywhere I looked, it went up by about 15p. Well, the RAC did say that something like 2p was passed on, but you're quite right. We had prompt prices going up 10p in a, yeah. in a couple of days. It is a drop in the ocean. The thing that surprises me, though, and I said this on Monday, was over the weekend, there was a lot of cars out on the road, particularly yeah. on Saturday because of the rail strike. You know, so as much as some people are probably not driving as much as, as they would, so many people have to drive that they can't not pay the money. It's a bit divided in that sense. Mm. You're absolutely right. People that don't have to worry about how much it costs to fill their tanks, they're still going to continue yeah. doing what they're doing. But the small businessman and the haulage industry, yes. and certainly people on low-income families, and it's a regressive tax, so it, it, it does hit people on low incomes. Yeah. And so from the point of view of that, I'm afraid something like probably about 10-15% of the drivers in this country are now not driving at all. Yes, and it must be, as you say, very difficult. I saw uh, one of my Twitter followers the other day putting in um, uh, some, some. I think he had just a van, but it was something like 250 quid yes. to fill it up. And it's just mind-boggling, really, isn't it? Well, Because when you're used to, I don't know, paying 70 and it's gone up by that much, because people forget that it was only, what, 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, it was like a pound a litre. That's exactly right. I mean, a year ago, it's 60p less. Yeah. About As you say, two years ago, it was about 90p less. Yeah. And what, what, what we're seeing at the moment is a government totally, they're, they're, they're in torpor 
They, they're yeah. completely, absolutely in denial to understand how to reduce the cost of living. Mm. And reducing inflation, the simplest way to do it is to cut the cost of filling yeah. up the car. Yes. And that's fuel tax and VAT, and that you've brought it up many times. Yeah. There's VAT on the fuel duty as mm. well. Why are they not doing this? I know. Please, please do this. I know. I keep saying it. I mean, I put out a tweet last week after the by-election disaster for Boris Johnson. Four things or five things that he could do. And the top one was just take 50p yeah. off the cost. And suddenly people have got 25% more money in their pocket. And other businesses will also similarly be able to reduce the price of everything that they sell. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, the 20p cut with the 10, uh, the 20% VAT means 24p, which means 12p off of filling up a, yeah. a car. What would 12 pounds mean for a really hard-up family at yeah. the moment? Well, quite a lot, I would imagine. You've got a piece in the Express today um, from Fairfield UK, of course, your organisation, um, because the hints at helping drivers are all there. But the trouble is there's a lot of hinting and not actual any, any doing. I mean, what's Rishi Sunak doing? What well, are they doing in the Treasury? I mean, do they just sit around all day playing checkers or something? <laughs> well, I, I have quite a few contacts in the Treasury, and they yeah. have these incredible things. You've heard of them probably before. They're called modelling, yes. statistical modelling, economic modelling. And, and what they're doing is actually, what if we did this? If we added 2p or down the 2p here, what would it do? And they write these reports about 1,000 pages right. thick. They go and sit on desks, and nothing happens. They and should the, have a model on you know, how long before we're all up... Uh, Yes, creek. creek. <laughs> I nearly said the wrong word there for a second, but without a paddle. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I, I know. But the, the, the article I wrote today is really to emphasise that the CMA inquiry, the Competition to Market Authority inquiry, which Quasi uh, uh, Kwarteng actually has instigated mm. under pressure from us, Fairfield UK and many drivers, yeah. must have teeth this time because I was involved with it in 2013 and it was a whitewash. Mm. And we mustn't blame all the retailers. The small independent retailers are being ripped off. I mean, it, yeah. there's, a, there's a bit in here where one guy is making 2.5%. Uh, on uh, it, it, Another retailer told me he made just £1,000 on fuel before car costs, and, and, and that's out of £37,000 turnover. Shocking. And has anybody worked out as well how much more money the Treasury is actually making as a result of the, the increased cost? Because I know that the fuel tax is static, right? I think you've explained that to yeah. me before. But the VAT isn't. So the VAT, they must be making a huge well, amount of money on. It's about three to four billion pounds in the mm. last, uh, which is equivalent to an eight to 10p cut in fuel duty if they could actually pass that on. Yeah. But they've also got a certain thing called a, a windfall tax bonanza mm. of five billion. Oh, Put yeah. those two together, that's about nine billion. That gives us 20 to 30p well, cut in duty. They say that they're using that to give people the money back that they promised them for. Uh, helping them out but of course they're saying I mean they say that they're helping out by spending all this money but it's money that they've taxed yes. the, the, the oil companies for so technically it's, it's not money they've had to find yeah. but they're also giving it to the poorest families fair enough but they're not giving it to everyone you know I'm not getting anything from no. them I actually applied biz bizarrely because I was sent a um, an email by my local council to say that I was eligible for my place in London yes. to get the 150 quid back, which effectively is a month and a half's worth of council tax. Yes. But it's really hard to do. I don't know yeah. if you've tried, but um, you probably don't qualify because if you've got a reasonably sized house out in the country, you don't. You know, you don't <laughs> have to get. You don't get it. But you know, you have to apply for it, and they say, "Oh, we've now received your application." Well, hang on a minute. I thought you said I was entitled to it. So now I've applied for it. Then you have to fill out all sorts of online forms. So if you're not, if you're not that you know, commensurate with the internet. You're not going to be able to do that. Then they ask you to upload documents to prove that you are who you say you are. So yes. either a driver's licence or a passport or, uh, and then plus you have to give me your bank account details. And I'm like, well, I'm not giving you, no. I'm not giving, they wanted a statement. I'm not going to give you a statement. I'm, why would I give you my bank statement? It shows everything that I spend my money on. You can get stuffed. Um, so that delayed it for a while. And eventually, eventually they gave me the money. But it's not an easy process. 
No, absolutely right. But I come, I'm in your school of thought. I don't think you should be handing out money. We should be cutting taxes. Right. John, the John Redwood school of, mm. you know, cut taxes. Right. Everyone needs that. And we need, please, Boris, uh, Rishi, Quasi, all of you listening there, uh, Grant Shapps as well, cut the cost of driving. Yeah. That will absolutely decimate uh, inflation. It will come down by about a percent to two percent mm. overnight if they got 20 to 30 I mean, the only thing that's in any way been helpful to motorists uh, is that Sadiq Khan at least reduced the uh, congestion charge back down to normal hours. Because remember how he extended yeah. it until 10 o'clock and at weekends. And I think he's now gone back to um, six o'clock and no uh, charge at weekends. But, but that means there's more cars on the road, um, particularly when there are no trains running. But one of the problems there is if you just, you know, one of your tyres goes into a cycle lane, you're going to be fined and things like that. That's a, Actually, we haven't <laughs> talked about that. Does that also mean, I bet you that also means if you if you edge into one of those boxes yep. in the front of, by the traffic lights, yep. you're going to get that. I mean, I, was, I, mean, I, what I as, as you'd probably do every time you, you drive around London, this morning, again, you know, there's loads and loads of cyclists. Whenever the weather's nice, they're all out there, you know, with their lycra on. Um <laughs> But there's always loads of these kind of what I call kind of extreme cyclists who yeah. don't go in the cycle lane. And they weave in and out of the traffic, they stay in the road, and then they cross over, they don't stop at red lights, because it's some kind of cycling ninja thing. I don't know what they're doing. But they clearly think that, you know, um, it's only amateurs that go in the cycle lanes. Well, it's also the highway code gives them a licence to do what they yeah. want. As you know, this hier- hierarchy of blame. Yeah. You know, cyclists are actually innocent. Everyone else that's mm. an internal combustion engine all the way up to trucks. And I actually sent a, a tweet, you might have seen it, to, to Will Norman, who's the guy yeah. who runs the cycling yes, lanes I know for, uh, uh, for Sadiq Khan. I said, oh, you're going to also be finding the, the cyclists for not using cycle lanes and or for going uh, against traffic regulations, going the wrong way down a street or going through a red light. And, of course, they can't because, guess what, they're not registered. Well, it's a complete mess, everything about the road transport policy right across the country. It's not just London, mm. uh, Mike. It's happening in other big cities too. They, they tend to follow Sadiq Khan's lead in terms mm. of actually, oh, how much more cash can we get out of drivers yeah. and out of motorists? Right. And I'm afraid that's that's the trend. We've got to fight that. Yeah. And, and thank you for Talk Radio. For no, listen, we're very happy to do it. And I know you talk to Richard Tice about this on a regular basis. I'll tell you another thing that struck me the other day. Some bozo left one of those electric bikes in the space where I parked my car yeah. uh, here in London. And so I had to move it, right? Have you ever tried to lift one of those things They're up? They're flipping heavy, those batteries. I've never, I never, you know, because at one point I thought, I'm just going to chuck this in the river, you know. But well, you I imagine thought, what a battery car weighs. I'm not sure I could actually pick it up and throw yeah. it that far. Yeah. Because they're really heavy. You know, if you're going to tell me that that's a green process no, to make that not. bike. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've had uh, motorbikes that didn't weigh that much. Well, but the point is, I say that you, you, a battery car is about fifty percent heavier than mm. a, a petrol or diesel yeah. car, and the, the pressure on the roads, the tyre, yeah. where all the particulates coming off yes. the brake pads the brake and things pads like that, and everything like all that. those sort of things. Oh no, that that's nothing. It's still the wonderful oh, green yeah, thing. Still green, unbelievable. Uh, you'll be pleased to know this if you didn't know it already. But apparently, down at Glastonbury, all of the electric vehicles that they were using were being charged by a diesel generator. Yes. And you're going, uh, right then, me. okay, that works. Now, this is a question that a lot of people have been asking, and you can uh, please give your version of why this is the case. I've heard government ministers giving it. Oil on March the 8th was $137 yep. with a pump price of 167 a litre. Oil today is $117, and yet the pump price is 186 per litre. Well, good luck if you get it for that. Uh, how does that work? It's $20 less today than on March the 8th. Pump price 20p more. I've heard um, government ministers saying this is all to do with the uh, the 
extra the extra cost of tra- of moving the stuff and also the exchange rate. I don't buy that. What is it? Well, uh, all those things it, it, you can tick all of the boxes above, but fundamentally, no one knows. It's the fuel supply chain is a law to itself. Mm. Actually, how it fixes prices at the pumps. Right. That's why the CMA inquiry mustn't just ask retailers. And, and you see, even the papers, retailers ripping off drivers. They're not. Mm. It's further up the fuel supply chain. The in the last, if it's in fact on page two of the Sun, you'll see that petrol has come down by something like, uh, in terms of a, a, a wholesale price, by 13p. Mm. But the, the fuel price has gone up by six per, uh, what you pay for. Yeah. Go figure. So it's further up. And we need to actually put an examination, a full inquiry into everything. As soon as oil mm. hits the uh, UK land, we want to know how is it priced in all the stages all yes. the way down to retailers. Because it's no one's policing. It shouldn't be hard to find this kind of transparent information. But it seems to be, doesn't it? Nobody wants to tell you anything. It's a bit like I'm convinced that an awful lot of prices in supermarkets and in other yeah. sort of retail areas, they're just putting them up. They're not yeah. giving a reason. They're just going, yeah, just stick another 50p on that. Nobody will notice. Well, it's the Ukraine crisis yeah. that everyone throws in. Yeah. It's absolute BS. Yeah, it totally is. Thanks for not swearing. But it's <laughs> difficult not to. It has to be said. Um, very good to see you, Howard. Um, what's the next stage? What's the next move for you? Well, I, there are three things we're asking. We've got one of them, which is the CMA inquiry. Yeah. But we're asking for that big fuel duty cut mm. uh, with the VAT, the link to that, because you know the VAT and the fuel duty. And we want Pump Watch introduced. Mm. We want this regular body, a price regulatory body, which uh, it, actually... When everyone goes into a garage, they understand, hey, oil prices are changing and I know what I'll be pa- mm. uh, uh, paying when I fill up my uh, uh, petrol or diesel. So there are three things. Pump watch, fuel duty cut and the CMA inquiry. I'm fighting like mad. I'm off to see some MPs now to talk Good about man. that. Excellent stuff. Howard Cox from Fairfield UK. Uh, check out their website if you haven't done it already. We will continue the fight here at Talks uh, TV, of course, as much as we can. Uh, coming up, we'll take your calls. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. But let's talk about Wyndham High Academy in Norfolk because they've now decided that schoolboys can wear skirts if they wish, but not shorts under gender-neutral uniform rules. How does that work? It's, it's, it just seems so disingenuous for them to suggest that al- allowing o- only the wear- wearing of skirts mm. and not of shorts to suggest that that is somehow gender-neutral. Yes. They're trying to get the boys to wear skirts and mm. that, is, that is their only option if they don't want to boil in the summer months. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems to me to be you know, quite straightforwardly subversive they're, they're trying yeah. to do something that they think is clever and progressive and pass it off as being um, gender neutral surely what is would, would be genuinely gender neutral would be shorts for everybody wouldn't it well so this is the this is what the suggestion the parents who were complaining saying that why, why not just allow shorts or skirts for yeah. either boys or girls right. um, because this was in response to a number of parents who had uh, come out and said that they were concerned that there was no summer uniform for the Mm. school and the boys were extremely hot. And so now the two changes that have been made as a result of this consultation, one is that the girls now have to wear ties, which I'm sure they're not very happy about. And the other is that the option uh, that is available other than trousers is just simply a skirt. Mm. And this isn't a kilt, this is a skirt. So they're expecting that if the boys... Well, kilts would be really hot. I mean, a kilt is even hotter than a pair of trousers. (laughs) With with big woolen socks. Yeah, really big woolen things, yeah. So presumably they're expecting that the boys are going to wear skirts. But if you're a, a boy, you're not going to want to... You'd rather boil, surely, than go I to school think, wearing a skirt. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Unless serious... Unless you're making a specific statement, of course. Yeah, it's not a serious response to the concerns of the parents. And, mm. and it's not conducive to their learning either, yeah. that they are either going to have to be embarrassed or extremely hot. Yes. Um, and I think that this goes to the heart of something else that has been going on and hasn't received much 
um, discussion recently, which is that um, there's been a, 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 an amendment table to the schools bill mm. in the Lords to allow parents to have access to the curriculum. So this seems to me to be part of this overall problem where parents don't have enough control over their children's education. Right. The schools don't really seem to think that they have to listen to the concerns of the parents. And so... Um, this um, this amendment is in response to the fact that we've seen all sorts of things going on in schools in relation to the curriculum on whether it's gender or race or anything yeah. like that. White privilege is another example. Um, so I think really that this is just the latest in an instalment in a, a, an overall story about the ways in which parents are not able to um, really have much of a say in what goes on for a large portion of their children's life during the day. And again, it's a sort of overcomplication, over isn't it, of something that could be very easily solved, as I say, because you could easily have girls and boys wearing shorts, mm-hmm. which could be tailored shorts like they tell you to wear in certain situations. I mean, it's not difficult, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And if if they really wanted to just respond straightforwardly to the concerns of parents and to that consultation, yeah. they would have obviously just gone for skirts and trousers. But for some reason, they've decided to go for the skirts alone. And I can't see how you can explain that in any other way mm. than they're just attempting to be subversive. Yeah. I think subversive is right. And to the detriment of the of the boys in the school as well. And I think it's it it's pretty um unkind as well on on those boys and on boys gem- generally who are constantly told that they're, you know taught to- taught about toxic masculinity mm. and told that being masculine and being a boy is somehow bad and right. now they're being told that the only thing that they can do if they're too hot is to wear a skirt and surely you know i can imagine if i was a teenage boy i'd feel like they were trying to feminize me yeah absolutely right although i can tell you a funny story when i lived in new york i was asked once to go and buy um, a pair of culottes which had been made by Jean-Paul Gaultier for men uh, this would have been about sort of early 90s and they were $500 in Bloomingdale's and I was told to walk around New York and see what reaction you get because when because they were two sort of rather baggy trousers looks like a long it looked skirt. like a long skirt but it actually looked more like a cassock to me <laughs> so I mean I got all sorts of different reactions but nobody because it was New York in the 90s nobody batted an eyelid it wasn't like anyone was shocked we actually in the end I think we had to get some some guys out of a bar an Irish bar to kind of point at us and, and mock us because in the end nobody cared does and a this photo was, of this exist Mike? probably so it was published <laughs> somewhere but I mean it didn't work out I mean the people that asked me to do it for a, for a story it did, I'm not sure if it was ever, ever ran very very far because there was, people weren't outraged and that was you know 30 years ago nobody really cares you know if you're a bloke if you want to wear a skirt Go ahead and do it, but you don't need schools telling well, you to wear one if you're too hot. Wasn't it David Beckham who uh, at right, some point did. walked around wearing what looked like a, a sort of yeah, sarong it was like a sarong yeah. skirt? But I, you know, the parents who are complaining about this are not saying that they think it's wrong that yeah. boys might choose to wear a skirt. That mm. they they just simply have an issue with the fact yeah. that the only option available to the boys is a skirt, right. which to me seems like it's sort of like mandatory feminisation. Yes. And that's the problem because if there were people who individually wanted to you could go to the school and say look is it right if i wear Mm. this as part of the school uniform will that be okay it's very different to them actually ordering you to do it if you're too hot which is mad isn't it let's talk about uh, wales though as i say because uh, in if you're under 16 in wales you could actually be forced not to buy tea or coffee because apparently mark drakeford has decided that uh, this will be a good thing to stop rising obesity rates tea or coffee yeah Presumably what he means is going into those kind of, you know, coffee shops and getting a very frothy, you know, milky 
very high in, in calories those, type those drinks. Starbucks milkshake yes, style exactly. frapper lappuccino. <laughs> I mean, yeah, which is disgusting, frankly. I mean, I don't know why you want to drink them, but but I mean, only, I mean, only in these devolved nations, we've got you know Drakeford trying to ban coffee. We've got Nicola Sturgeon saying if the UK refuses a second referendum, then you know it will look weak in the eyes of the world. Sorry. Scotland now looks more ridiculous than I think it's ever looked, doesn't it? There's, there's definitely something going on in the Celtic mm. nations um, within the Union that they, they have this inclination towards, not just towards nanny statery, mm. but just towards the interference of the state with people's speech, with people's thoughts. If you just look at the Scottish hate crime bill, as mm. one example of this. Um, in, in Northern Ireland, they're also talking about bringing in this new hate crime legislation, which is very similar to the hate crime legislation uh, in Scotland. Mm. And Mark Drakeford is the perfect example of the interfering postmaster type. Oh, he is. You know, he's he he's uh, the the male equivalent of uh, when when some women are accused of being like librarians, mm. not to insult librarians, but everybody knows the trope. But there's something about Mark Drakeford that is so, sort of like a, a postmaster who's got too yes. big for his boots. Yeah, or sort of ticket inspector or something like that. We should be running a ticket office somewhere in darkest Wales. He's he's uh, no offence. Looking looking for something to be tyrannical over, and unfortunately, <laughs> he's ended up with Wales. I know. Yeah, I'm going to be mentioning Scotland in my plank of the week suggestions. Something to do with witches. I think you'll find it's going to be because uh, they've taken on some. Do they want to burn them again? <laughs> That's what you would think, isn't it? But you'll find out on plank of the week. Witches on plank of the week for the first time. Ember Webb, thank you very much indeed. She'll be on planks as well with Kevin O'Sullivan, who's back here uh, at four o'clock with Drive as well. Um, lots more going on. Uh, we'll take some more of your calls because of course uh, this is the one place where you can do that where your voice can be heard uh, we've talked about a great many things today I'd like to find out more about who's going to go on strike next I can't imagine who we haven't had yet we've got obviously now doctors saying they want 30% more of they're going on strike we've got barristers on strike uh, more of them are going out tomorrow we've also got of course the RMT waiting to announce we've got BA workers we've got teachers uh, we've got I think postal workers coming next communication workers I think we're going to start strike of the day tomorrow might be a bit of fun. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.